And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome, I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us today. Our guest mentor is Jay Elliott, an author, serial entrepreneur, and formal, former Apple Executive Vice President. He has more than 40 years operations experience with such corporate giants as IBM, Intel, and Apple, and he is the founder and CEO of Tygo, a soft medical app software company helping Medicaid patients navigate the medical system. Jay, an experienced operating executive, met Steve Jobs in the reception area of a restaurant. Steve, who needed someone with extensive operating experience, struck up a conversation with Jay, and the rest is history. He went on to develop a lifelong friendship and collaboration with Steve Jobs. Within weeks, he was hired to join Apple and served as Jobs' right-hand man while he was at Apple and continued as a mentor for many more years until his death in 2011. Let's get started. And uh, Jay, I know you grew up on a farm, and that I, growing up in the Midwest, I have some idea of what and having a brother-in-law that has a dairy ranch. Tell us about life on the farm and the lessons learned. Tom, thank you very much for being here. Um, it's interesting. I have a great affection for rural America because I grew up in rural America on a very large thousand-acre dairy farm, and I have a great appreciation for getting up at four thirty every morning and also milking the cows again at four thirty in the afternoon. And I think there's something about magical about being on a farm system of understanding part of part of being the resources you have to work with in life, um, also part of being in a situation where you are very much in control how you eat and everything you do day to day. I mean, it's a day-to-day operation, and you, you develop a discipline and an understanding of how resources mean to you and to, to run an operation like that. And so I got a great affection for that. Also... We're, we're in rural America, so we were 50 miles from the nearest hospital, or, or I went 15 miles to go to school. So you had to learn to navigate the system yourself and to be able to transfer a lot of miles just to get places and be, be very accountable. When you're in the middle of a field and a, with a tractor going around a 300-acre field, you're by yourself, and you, you really gain an understanding of what, the, what it is to be resourceful and be personally involved in what you're going to do. It's a very important important lesson in life. And did you have any uh, siblings that were maybe your father, somebody that mentored you or well, showed you the ropes, or are you out just thrown out into the field? <laughs> <laughs> my family is very unique. So I came from a very historic family, but my father married into the family. So I was raised on my mother's family's property, my mother's family's um, uh, business, and my father really was an outsider, so to speak. So my, my mentors growing up mostly were my mother and my grandmother. I had very strong um, female members of my family, so I had really leaders from their, that point of view more than my father. Um, but actually, I had a brother who was 17 years older than I was, and he was really my mentor more than anybody else. Um, we were, it's funny, uh, we were, my parents were in their 40s when I was raised and born. And I'm a twin, so they got two of us. Um, and uh, so it's an interesting dynamics of a family. I imagine being a twin, that's a whole other story. Maybe another hour talking uh, yeah, about so, all of that. It's always oh, curious about that. Right. Raising twins like raising a gang. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, I know in your, you kind of took over at age 15, but you diversified the uh, farm into strawberries. Uh, talk just briefly about that. Because yeah. that's a pivot, the classic pivot, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I was um, – my family came to me when I was 15 and said, it's your turn to, to, to manage the ranch, in which I – I'd already been thinking about it. I didn't really want to be on the ranch, but I was – I would take this opportunity. And I read the Farmer's Almanac, which is an incredible document to read. It is an amazing – I don't know where it comes from, but it is true, and it's really interesting. And in there, it talked about – we were on the coast of California, and um, – 
interesting weather for strawberries, and I read about strawberries, so I said, wow, I should give this a try. So I basically planted two acres of strawberries, which became that year for on a thousand acre ranch with cows and everything else, milk and eggs and, that we sold. Uh, strawberries became it, they became a thing. But what I had to get over with this, by the way, was um, my family was very biased about the Japanese because of World War II. And so the greatest growers of strawberries are Japanese. And I happened to run into a very old Japanese family and I talked to them about strawberries. They wanted to come and help me, which they did, but I had to convince my mother and my grandmother that the Japanese were nice people, and it's interesting. So not only did I get the strawberries, but I had to deal with dealing with the problems of the Japanese because of World War II. Yeah, and you were on the coast. I mean, you're over near Ana Nuevo, and uh, I know that there were, I think they attacked, uh, the Japanese actually attacked the west coast of the United States down above Santa Barbara, and there was some activity north of here too, so I could understand some fear of yeah, There was a great yeah, great apprehension about the Japanese. And my brother, unfortunately, was in the end of World War II, and he was on a ship that got sunk off the Solomon Islands, and um, that changed our life dramatically because um, my mother told my grandfather that, and he, my grandfather got killed in an auto accident that night, so the whole dynamics of our family. Then my f- brother was discovered a couple of days later floating in the ocean, and and he had a broken hip and brought back to wow. back to the ranch. Now, um, you went on. You were an athlete, I understand, and you went on. Tell us a little st- little story about uh, you had some an opportunity to go into pro ball. I think. Yeah, I was. Uh, I grew up fast, and I was like six foot four when I was about. 14 years old, so I grew up very quickly, and I was fairly athletic, and I went to a small high school that I dominated in athletics, but we didn't have a lot of competition around us. Santa Cruz High School was next, was about 20 miles south of us, and San Mateo High School was about 50 miles north of us, so we didn't have much competition because we were were only a 90-person high school, so it was hard even to formulate a team. Um, Fortunately, one of my teachers had been a scout for the St. Louis at, uh, Cardinals, and so he called his buddies and said, "This guy is a great athlete, and he's a great pitcher." And that's how I got. They came out and, dra- and they looked me over, uh, see what I could do. And that day, I pitched a two hitter and hit the, a two run homer, which won the game. So, I would, but my they came to dinner that night, and my mother said, right out, of the, right off the gut, rives said, "Have a nice dinner, but my son is not going to play baseball; he's going to college." And uh, so that was a complete change for what I'm very excited about playing baseball, and that changed my life. And you went on to college, and uh, what did you learn as an athlete that you brought forward in life? I learned about teamwork. I learned about about understanding the game, and I understand about the relationship of a team and the relationship of a coach, and good or bad. Um, I had a very bad coach in college, and um, bad meaning is personally bad, um, but uh, and that I learned about the dynamics of what it, what leadership can do to you, uh, good or bad. If you're just a good, good leader, bad leader, how it impacts your life. And that's what I really worried of, found out about my athletic background in college. Well, when we come back, we're with Jay Elliott. We're going to talk about uh, his meeting, his uh, serendipitous meeting with uh, Steve Jobs and how he became his right-hand man and what he learned while he worked with him. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder, Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus, like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Nauer. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance Six. Money, health, relationship, time management, 
self-improvement and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to balance six, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I am with uh, former Apple Senior VP and mentor to Steve Jobs, Jay Elliott. Steve Jobs used the phrase pirates, not the Navy, as a rallying cry, a metaphor to think different. We're discussing the management principles that grew out of this statement to form the backbone of Apple's success. Jay, when we uh, left the last segment, you were telling us about your career, almost career in baseball, but obviously it took a turn. And you became an operating type, operating guy, I like to say, operating executive. Uh, tell us a little bit about what, what I'd like for the audience is tell us what that means. What is, what is an operating person and what you learn from being in operations? Well, it's interesting. I, uh, after I came out of college, I, again, not knowing what I really wanted to do, I sort of fell into the computer world um, and I went to work for IBM. And what I really learned about IBM is that you really need to understand the basis of your business. You need to understand how it operates day to day, how you make things happen. And that's what I really, that that's was really the training I got from IBM. Big on plans and where things are going to go and meeting goals of pub, you know, products on, on schedule to be developed and so forth, technology. So I think operations to me means how are you going to make this happen today, even though you may have a vision a long ways from now, but today is a Today we're here. We got to make it happen. We got to be able to, to manufacture things, to understand how they fit in the marketplace, to deliver them. If you look at that whole chain of going from an idea to put it in somebody's hand, that's really the, what that's really what operations is all about, and that's really the the part of what, what IBM really gave me great training in that oper, in that part of it. That was I'm very gr- thankful to that. So it's about how you make things and make them well. And how you sell things and sell them well. I mean, that's when it comes down to operations, making and selling. Exactly. And quality is obviously a part of it. Right. It's got to be when you're making something, again, think about it in somebody's hand. And then that's when sort of my connection to Steve Jobs really highlighted all of that. It was very important. So uh, Jay and I, before uh, we went on air, we were talking a little bit about uh, the two comp- my company. There, I started my career at American Hospital Supply and IBM, and they were both very very, very, very good at selling. And we had formal training programs on selling. Right. And one of the problems today with a lot of the companies, the younger companies, is they finding good salespeople and having a what I call a disciplined sales approach is uh, hard to find these days. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, about, it's about, you know, fulfilling your client. It's not about jamming something into them. It's about fulfilling their need, which is really critical. Yep. That's yeah. the satisfying the customer. Right, exactly. Which came into play as you met this very young Steve Jobs. Tell us uh, about the meeting, the chance meeting. Well, think about chance. Here I came from a dairy farm milking cows, and all of a sudden I'm running into a guy in Silicon Valley. Um, I happened to be going to a restaurant, and I was wanted to change careers, not sure what I wanted to do. I was meeting there, a friend of mine to talk about, give me some advice about that. And um, I was sitting in the lobby of the restaurant reading a newspaper. This young guy sat next to me, and he... Uh, Sort of interrupted me. Said, "You know, what are you what are you reading?" So I happened to be reading an article about IBM, and he said, um, "You know, I'm good." He saw the headline. He said, "You know, I'm going to bury IBM." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, I have a new company, and I'm going to put IBM eventually out of business." And here I am sitting with this sort of a rebel-looking guy, sort of with a beard and you know, and a, a dirty T-shirt and so forth. And I said, "Sure." And he said, "Do you know anything about computers?" I said, "Yeah, I'm an executive at IBM." And he said, "Oh." He said, well, that's too bad. And so he got, we, but we got a discussion about why we, he thought that and what, where the world was going to go. What I saw in that was an incredible vision. I saw the vision of what I was also having the trouble with IBM was a vision of 
hey, computers are going to come out of the computer room and they're going to be put in people's hands. But his vision was beyond mine because I was thinking of putting it on your desk. He was thinking of putting it in everybody's hand. So it was a vision that was sort of beyond what I was thinking about. And it was really very exciting at that moment. So that's, that's how our, the other thing about the meeting, by the way, I had a beard and I was the only executive at IBM and had a beard. And I, I know what it's like to be on the outside because I knew I had better performing, be performing at 200% because I was the only executive in IBM with a beard. I've seen some old pictures of you. I saw that beard. <laughs> this is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show, and I'm with Jay Elliott, a former mentor and confidant of Steve Jobs. So you ended up, tell us more about your, you met the guy, and he and you were in your 40s at the time? Right. I was in my 40s. He was, his he 20s. was Yeah, he was uh, just, he was 28. Um, and I, uh, it was a great, when I decided to join Steve, eventually he called me back and we got, together and we decided me to join Apple and um, and I remember accepting a job and at well, night. Let me just, just add because I, I read about this is that mm-hmm. when he asked you about coming and joining him uh, and asked you what you thought you said you can't afford me. Exactly. But the first thing I said, you can't afford me. At that time, I didn't realize he was already worth a couple hundred million dollars. And uh, he said, yes, I can afford you. <laughs> but, but he didn't look like he could, um, which is actually good, a good lesson, by the way. you got to be open. That's the other thing I'll talk about, the lesson of meeting somebody or any ideas. Openness is what it's all about. you got to be open to people, open to ideas, open to process. And that, that was a great thing came out of that meeting, by the way. And um – just briefly, and we're we're going to get into more about the Steve Jobs way. But you, you, when you left Apple, you got involved in the film industry. I mean, you had a lot of uh, breadth, and you you wrote a, a best-selling book. Tell us a little bit, just briefly, about your time in Hollywood and the book you wrote, and we'll post that on the website. And then a little bit about Tigo. Okay. Um, basically, I when I left. Apple, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. And I, what I discovered at Apple is that I really went to the heart of me was an entrepreneur. And I sort of felt that way leaving IBM, but Apple and with Steve brought that out. I mean, totally, I was an entrepreneur. I really didn't want to work for somebody. I want to do my own thing. And so I tried, but I wasn't sure what that was going to be. So one of the areas that I enjoyed was films. And so I decided to get in that, that, that industry. So I went into the film, film industry. Produced a movie called Berkeley in the 60s, um, which was nominated for Academy Award in 1990. And so I got decided to move to Los Angeles and take on a film company there, um, which was a big mistake. Um, but I learned that maybe yeah, you have an interest in something, but the reality is you got to focus on who you are. And who I was was technology, not, not the film industry. So that's what I eventually got back to. And then you wrote some books. Yeah, I did. I I decided that towards the end, I felt that Steve was going to be misrepresented by by people and by books and so forth. So I decided I wanted to tell the right book. So I wrote a book called The Steve Jobs Way, which is about his leadership and about the lessons I learned from him. So because I really felt, and I had a good insight to it, because being at IBM, I really understood quality leadership. And I was able to apply that to Steve. Nothing that happened at Apple with Steve Jobs was an accident. It all was well-planned well thought out and well done. And I think that's, I really want to get that crossed in the books. That's why I wrote the book, The Steve Jobs Way. And you were known as his sidekick, his mentor, and the gray beard and a peacemaker. <laughs> you had, you filled a lot of roles at Apple, didn't you? I did. I, um, it was funny, I knew, I could walk in a room where Steve was doing something people didn't like and he would immediately change his style. And I was, I'd run around and do that a lot, but uh, it was a very interesting role. And I heard he once said that uh, you don't trust anyone over 40 except for Jay. Right. Well, it's funny. The first week I was at Apple, at that time he was under 30. It was a group of people who said, never trust anybody over 30. He looked at me except for Jay. And so I knew at that moment I had a special relationship. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about Tigo, and then we'll get into some of the lessons learned. Okay, Tigo is... Uh, I'm a rural guy. I love rural America, and I want to do things for rural America. So Tigo is, is a way for to help particularly people in Medicaid and Medicare in rural America. And that's really what we're focused on, finding that way through the medical system. Unfortunately, hospitals are having a real problem with Medicare and Medicaid patients because they cost-wise they can't 
can't meet the cost. So we're trying to figure a way to help that. We've already got a contract with a hospital down in Southern California, getting ready to do another one, and we think it's a great opportunity. So that's where that's where Tigo helped. And what us. what was the catalyst for you getting involved in uh, Tigo? A friend of mine had a stroke, laid under his kitchen table for 17 hours, and I said I went and helped him. And his cell phone was laying next to him. I said, hey, you have the product. It's ridiculous that you can't connect with an emergency contact and you have your cell phone laying next to you. So that's what got me going in this whole, whole arena and um, to help people to have problems. So that is an important lesson for people out there uh, thinking about innovation and how do you build a company and everything else is you saw a problem, you connected the dots, and you then pursued a solution. I think it's a great story. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. Well, we're going to be right back with Jay Elliott, who served as uh, Steve Jobs' right-hand man and troubleshooter. We're talking about how Steve managed and motivated his people. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com and mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. It's Tom Laurie. I am with former Apple executive and mentor to Steve Jobs, Jay Elliott. Steve used the phrase, pirates, not the Navy, as a rallying cry for a metaphor to think different. We're discussing the management principles that grew out of this statement to form the backbone of Apple's success. So now let's turn our attention to Jay. How closely did you work with him? I was very close to Steve. I was with him almost every day. It's funny, um, being a mentor to Steve also required one other attribute, which was walking. So we I probably traveled several hundred miles with Steve walking around talking. 
and one of, significant part of my mentoring came from these walk-arounds and talking. It's amazing that when you're walking out in fresh air, talking to somebody, there seems to be a, a connection of inf- thought process which works out very well. So I walked many, many miles with Steve. And also I was his, I could give him advice other people couldn't, and I would. Uh, when he was doing something I didn't agree with, I would tell him. If he was doing something that was hurtful to somebody, I would tell him. So I would be very clear to give him both the, the real negative side and real positive side of how he was operating as a leader. And what would you say was most unique about how he motivated people? We hear stories, the nasty stories usually, about calling people names and all of that, which he did. But what he had a very – I mean, Apple had a turnover rate, I believe, around 3%. And in the Valley, it's like 25 to 30%. So he obviously was doing something. We'll get into a lot more detail. But just generally, what, what was it that he used to motivate people? The number one motivation was vision. The number one motivation he used was, let me tell you where this is going to go. And he really put future in everybody's mind about, don't worry about where we are right now, but here's where we're going to go to solve the problem for the world. I think that was very important. And that, and he was like an orchestra leader. He was like standing on stage and sort of looking at people and sort of putting people in places to get together. He's big in teams. Teams are really critical to his operations. And so he really focused on how these teams fit together and how he communicated to them. But vision was really the undercurrent magic that really made this work. Now, you've gone on and done some other things. Did you, do you, are you somebody that's a visionary? Did you this carry over into your work as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I believe what I learned in this is I had vision. Um, and I believe that that's, you know, I've created since I left Apple, I created one of the best products in the world called Mego, which is uh, told on by Time Magazine, the product of the year. Um, and again, I've always thought about the vision. I think about everything I do every day about where the, where is this going to go. Um, healthcare, to me, is a big visionary business. We got to got to can't be just today for this. Where is all this going to go? With artificial intelligence and all the other attributes now, robotics and everything for medicine, that's where that's where it's going to go. So, vision has always been a part of my life. It's even the, producing a movie or writing a book or building a product. I've always been very visionary about what I do. Well, and I know your partner in Tigo is an oncologist. And yes. as you know, I'm involved in immunotherapy. And she and I had a chance to talk. And and I'm, I suspect you share this as well. But this whole area of treating cancer is changing dramatically. And we see probably a 30-year run of all sorts of things that are really going to I mean, it comes back to the vision. I mean, I run a company with some very high-profile people that are not taking full salary because they want to be part of the action, right? Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's what people. That's the whole idea about vision. Not because in an early company, you don't have all the cash to pay people the high salaries and everything, but it, you grab them with the vision. You grab them with the vision. You get them connected. You, you want. They got to believe it. They got to believe it. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the that was the magic of Steve. His vision was always very believable, and he had the passion for it that. You have to have. You have to have this passion for what you're doing and the vision to do it. So he was product-centric. Let's talk a little bit about what that means because that really was the uh, an area where he crossed uh, swords with Steve or with uh, Scully uh, within Apple itself because they had two different approaches to how they should organize Apple to be successful. Let's talk about the product side of that. Yeah, product-centric. Well, first of all, as a product-centric, centric person you got to use the product yourself so steve was building products for himself personally it had to be for him and basically he was going to use this product himself so you have to be product centric means you're totally involved in the product you know what it does how it operates how people are using it and what you can do to improve it and think that you have to be very oriented to who's going to use your product but you got to be the number one user yourself and i think that at apple that was number one people in apple in fact we used to give people tests when they come to, to work with the company. If they couldn't use our product, they, they wouldn't be hired. I mean, that's how product-centric we, we were. Um, that's very, very critical. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show, and I'm with Jay Elliott, former mentor and confidant of Steve Jobs. When it comes to the, this idea of being the user, I mean, he was, re, he was relentless. And it, as I recall... Once uh, I don't know who it was, but somebody was writing a manual, and they said we should write it for the sixth grade level. And he said, no, first grade level, uh, right? Something about I mean, everything no. had to be intuitive, right from the package 
opening the package, right? right? No, it's 12th grade level. In fact, oh. we were with the marketing people, and this was Macintosh, and they said the manual has to be written by, by a 12th grader to that, that level. And Steve said, Jay, go find one. So I, w- I went to the local high school. I found a 12th grader, uh, and he wrote the manual because they said that's the grade you have to write it for. By the way, that 12th grader now is worth millions of dollars <laughs> with success at Apple. Well, I know that the Apple products are known for being intuitive, and that is, and that takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It does. In fact, the first Mac we couldn't, we had to do a manual because we it was too new to be intuitive yet. But now, ever since that time, there's been no manuals with Mac with uh, Apple products for that reason. Plus, people talk about it themselves, so you're you get mentored on your product by other Apple users. So it's a very unique system. Now he had this vision. You got in. Then you guys drive up to a place called Xerox Park, and just briefly, he saw something there that fit with his vision, didn't he? Yeah, in fact, he saw something that they had invented many years before that, and um, they didn't see it, and they didn't even, it was connected to a very large printer, it was a thing called a mouse, and the mouse was the, that was it. When Steve saw the mouse, he had already, in his mind, connected the world to technology, so the his vision was humanity connected to technology, and that's exactly, this was the thing to do it, called the mouse. And the mouse in those days had three buttons on it and a roller ball on it, and he said, no, I want one button, and that's what the Apple mouse came out to be. The original ones had no buttons on it, um, and so that, that was a big change in, the, in that technology. But the mouse said, think about the mouse today. It's still your right index finger. Operate the thing, operate today, that, and that was built back in 1980. But I also think this story is great because it gets back to the the chance favors the prepared mind, uh, or the prepared mind favors. <laughs> Anyways, Look, once I, you open up your mind that you've got this vision and you're trying to solve a problem, things pop up. Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize that is once you, if you don't, if you operate without a vision, you don't see things. It's the vision really drives a lot of what you see. Vision and be open is the two things. We'll be right back with Jay Elliott, who served as Steve Jobs' right-hand man and troubleshooter. If you have any questions or feedback, call anytime at 844-810-8255. That's 844-810-TALK. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly. But we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have MyPillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. I am with Apple, former Apple Senior VP and Mentor to Steve Jobs, Jay Elliott. 
Steve had a phrase, pirates, not Navy, as a rallying cry for the metaphor to think different. Tell us about that, uh, Jay, about that phrase, pirate, pirates, not Navy. What does that really mean? Well, it means that we were thinking about we needed a metaphor. We need something to keep people rallied and people exciting, keep what we called you know, the largest envir- largest entrepreneurial company in the world. And so we needed something to get people motivated to think about it. And think about a Navy the pirates are very disorganized looking, but they're very organized when they make things happen. They're very they're very focused on what they need to get done, and they do it as a team. They do it for the reward. But they they may look disorganized, but they're incredibly disorganized. So we said maybe that would be maybe a phrase that could fit what we're trying to do. So that's where we came up with the with the term pirates, not the navy. And one of the things that it seems, and you can confirm it and talk a little bit about it is the jobs was really good at isolating the talents that people had. And there's a tendency, I think, for all of us in business to project ourselves onto others and not see uh, these hidden talents that people have. Maybe you could talk about jobs and how did he surface those things? First of all, I mean, that's a great insight. He, if you could, like I, when I went, first met him, he basically interviewed me. I didn't know it, but it was. And he really wanted to know about me, not the fact that I had a college degree or worked at IBM and so forth. He wanted to know what's inside of me. What really is the, the things that I like? What's the things that I appreciate? What are things that motivate me? It wasn't about you know the, the pay at IBM or the, the rewards of IBM. It was about who are you? And uh, so that's really the essence of he found talent that way. And it's interesting, sort of like uh, when you produce a movie, you pull together a great script, pull together people that have great talent, interview them and pull them together and they make the movie happen. And that sort of was Steve's philosophy. I want to pull together the right talent to make it happen. And the resume is important, but not that important. It's what's inside of them and ask you questions about what you like and what you don't like, what your relationship is with people, what your background, where you were raised, and so forth. We're much more to Steve than what you did at IBM. Now, as he uh, was building the company, there was a time when he left, and there was a uh, divergence in terms of how the company should be organized going forward between Scully, who was came in as the CEO, which he helped recruit, by the way. Yes, he did, <laughs> which I disagreed with. Yes. <laughs> and for those people who don't know, Scully was the president of Pepsi-Cola, I believe, when he came. Yes, the CEO of Pepsi-Cola, CEO right? CEO of Pepsi-Cola. Right. Talk about, let's get back into this, because uh, you and I share a common view on product-centric versus functional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Basically, what Steve was looking for is that you were focused on what you were going to do product-wise. I mean, it was, what do you like as a product? What, in fact, that was part of also his interview was, what products do you like? What really, what really turns you on is how things operate. And um, that really was a part of the company was really very critical to understand. So when we, for me personally, I'm very product-centric in getting all the team, all the players there, and they have accountability and responsibility and I have not been a big fan of matrix organizations because I think they lead, uh, at least my experience, a lot of politics. And, um, you know, how do you feel about where Apple is today, where they're going and what they're doing? They're, they're really a different company without Steve. Totally. I mean, I feel that one of the greatest fears Steve had was that Apple would turn into a financial company. He mentioned it to be previous before he died. And that's exactly where they are today. If you think about between 1999 and 2011, when Steve died, uh, the company spent $1 billion in research and development money. Today, they're spending $15 billion a year in research and development for what? Build a watch? Uh, I don't, they're just not a product-centric company anymore. They're a financial institution, doing very well, have lots of money, but I don't view them as being product-centric any longer. Sounds like there's another book in that story for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then... Uh, how, what did he do once he organized the team? I don't know if we can take the Macintosh team. Uh, yes. How did he, how did he work within the team? What was, was he hovering? Was he a, a helicopter mom? I mean, what, what was he like? He was, uh, 
first of all, you organized in teams. So you had an engineering, you had a team responsible for the user interface, team responsible for the storage of the products, team responsible for the software. And you organized in teams, but you didn't let the teams interfere with each other. They, they were focused on what they had to build in a sort of a, in, a, in an environment where they weren't, nobody was interfering with them. And then he would then mentor each team one at a time. So it was a very flat organization, not typical of what it is today. And um, he made sure that each team was focused on what they were doing and that he communicated. At the right time, they would communicate together, but he wanted to make sure they were focused on getting together what they needed to get done as a team. Teams are very important to him. It's like an orchestra leader having that parts of the, or having that parts of the orchestra. Right. Yeah. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show, and I'm with Jay Elliott, former mentor and confidant of Steve Jobs. How is he on... Some of the other things that I always look at when it comes to uh, leadership, uh, what, respect. Uh, respect to others and respect, I mean, obviously, to him. I think that the sort of the downside of that is his respect came from your connection to Apple, to the products. His respect came from your insight into what, he, what it was doing or for him or for the company. So that could be misinterpreted and it could be you know, he's not respecting you for the right thing as a person. He did respect people, not nearly as harsh as people thought he was. He never fired anybody as far as I knew when I was there. Even though they talk about him, oh, he's going to throw that guy and this guy out. No, he didn't. He was, he wouldn't do that. And um, so, but his, I think the, the downside of his personality was he was so focused on Apple, so focused on the products that if you sort of interfered with that, that's when he would lose respect for you. So he was very intense. Very intense, right? And what, how how about uh, loyalty? Well, I mean, you mean loyalty to him, or you no? Know, his loyalty to everybody. Uh, the, I guess maybe that follows from respect. Well, right? I think yeah, I think he was very loyal, and he was uh, very respectful to people, very loyal to him. As long as you're a part of that team and doing what you said you're going to do, uh, that loyalty was very important. Um, not bureaucratic at all, not political at all. Um, but very intense on being loyal to what you were doing. And did he take time to have fun with everybody? Not much. That was the only downside to him. He was so focused on making this happen. Not the kind of guy you got to have a beer with. Um, and he was just, um, you know, not that, not that. Only a couple times in my working for almost seven years that he and I ever took a break and did something. Um, and uh, that's, But did other members of the team go out and have fun? Oh yeah, everybody else did their own thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and courage. Oh, courageous, very courageous person. Very willing to take big risk. Um, you know, even the things he did, and people said it wouldn't happen. It happened. I mean, big, big, big opportunities. And personal sacrifice. Um, he sacrificed. Yeah, his a lot personally. Um, his life basically. He finally got chance to get married eventually, but he. His life is sort of a disaster in the background. And you mentioned that uh, before he died, you had a chance to be with him. And he asked a question, am I a good guy? Yeah, he asked me the question, am I a good guy? And I said, yes, you are. You've done incredible. What you've done for society, for humanity is amazing, and uh, you're a really good guy. I, th- I find that a very profound uh, question. Right, it is very profound. Very profound. Um, well, we're going to come back. We've got one more segment. Uh, we're with Jay Elliott, who served as Steve Jobs' right-hand man and troubleshooter. We're talking about how he managed and how Steve managed and motivated his people and what we can learn from that. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Nauer. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance 6. Money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance 6, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, 
my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org oathbook.org. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have My Pillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured My Pillows made in the US, I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own 6 pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host Tom and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code mentors. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I am with former Apple Senior VP and mentor to Steve Jobs, Jay Elliott. Steve had a phrase, think different. And he challenged people to think different. We've been talking about that and his impact on his team and how he motivated people. Jay, Let's come back to you for a second as we close out. You're doing some interesting work uh, trying to bring broadband into rural areas. And I know you just got back from Washington, D.C., and you were at a Farm Bureau meeting, and, and you're doing some work with the United Nations, I think, or something. Tell us a little bit about that yeah, smorgasbord of activities right, that you're right. involved in. I'm on the board of directors of a group called Connected Nations, and I've been on there for almost eight years now. Um, and we were sort of came up with it's a nonprofit to how can we bring broadband to rural America. And that's one of my big passions is rural America. So we have been taking, we we allow states to seek funding for the federal government by showing their coverage in their state. And we get all of the net, all of the carriers to give us their information and we keep it anonymous so we don't tell anybody. And then we tell the state, here's what your coverage is. Here's how you should go get capital from the federal government. So that's basically what we're doing. And, it's like the Farm Bureau. If you look at rural America, if you're not covered to broadband, I mean, you're you're in bad shape because you're not getting the information you need either for education or for particularly for the farm farm industry. And so, I was back to we had an annual meeting back in Washington D.C. to talk about our progress and so forth and where we're going to go next. But that's really what I'm involved with with the Connected Nations. And how are we doing? We're doing okay. Uh, we finally got the the Farm Bill got passed. Finally, um, and then there was it was dollars for the broadband. I think it's expanding. We took a downside the last several years, but it's coming back now. Um, I think there's more also in telemedicine becoming a big deal in rural America, and so that's money is starting to be put aside to that. So I think things are going. If you asked me this question two years ago, I say we're doing bad, but I see it's a big upside. We're starting to do better now. Yeah, it would seem to me with the demographics and the concentration of people in the big cities and now with these people's the traffic and everything else, there would be an opportunity. And we both know there's a lot of outsourcing going on and people can work in different locations and still be productive. But the key is going to be the ability to have broadband and communications. Exactly. And that's that's very critical. I know a lot of companies are looking at that, but uh, it's, it's really critical. People don't really realize 
how bad coverage is. In fact, I was raised on a ranch over in Ananuevo, uh, which is 20 miles above Santa Cruz. And up until a year ago, they had no co- broadband coverage there. Oh, really? Here in California. No, but who would have guessed? I mean, that close. You go through Central, Central Valley in California, a lot of parts of it isn't covered. Yeah. Now, uh, as you look back on your own life, do you have any regrets? Uh, not really. It's not, I mean, I now and then think about being entrepreneurs. Not easy. Not easy world. I mean, I I sort of regret sometimes I could have had the gold watch at IBM and stayed there forever and retired very comfortably. Um, but on the other side, I would not have been a happy person. So I have no regrets. And uh, how do you spend your free time? Uh, mostly writing. I do writing. Um, I'm an avid horse race guy. I love horse races, and um, although it's it's in trouble now with horses breaking their legs, but it's a, it's a sport I enjoy. I love sports, um, and I enjoy spending a lot of time with my family. I have two, two young sons, which, by the way, mentoring for your own child is very difficult, the most difficult <laughs> mentoring of all. <laughs> I'm curious, Ibarra, why do you think these horses are breaking their legs? I think it's steroids. I think they're pumping them up, and uh, they've just got too much muscles to handle their legs. And... You've met a lot of people in your life, all different levels. What is it that you've observed that uh, separate those that are truly happy from those that are not? Uh, living a full life, having a full spectrum in their life that they understand from one end of working to the other end of, of pleasure in their family. Understanding how they fit into the community, I think, is really critical in the community they're part of. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. It's really been enjoyable having you on the show Uh, So that's it until next uh, week. This week we had Jay Elliott, who served as Steve Jobs' right-hand man and troubleshooter. We've been talking about how Steve managed and motivated people and what we can learn from how Jobs motivated people to do the best work in their lives. Remember, if you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. When you are there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening. We will be back next weekend at this time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. This is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.